Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Missio podcast. I am excited to talk uh, today about the way of Jesus, uh, faith, and trust. This was what we talked about this last Sunday as a church, and I'm excited to dig into it. Uh, Last week, Daniel taught on loving our enemies, which I'm super grateful to him for filling in for us and um, for that just being a really great teaching on what it means and looks like to love our enemies. And so, again, as we're talking about something that is really front and center to the Christian faith, you see that there, faith, uh, we are talking about faith and trust, but it's something that I, I think we often take for granted and we don't know necessarily what what faith and trust actually really means and what what does it actually look like for us to, to to live into faith and trust or to develop faith and trust as followers of Jesus? This is something that we all have heard in churches. You need to develop more faith, more trust. Well, okay, so the question then begins to be, what does it look like? How do we do that? So before we get too far into this, these words faith and trust and even belief are all the same word in Greek. The Greek word is pastuo. You can look it up. It's just it's this word that's used interchangeably in a lot of the New Testament to mean things like faith and trust and belief. And so when you hear someone read something like faith is having confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see, that word that is used there is pastuo. And it was the same word that was used elsewhere for things like belief or trust. And so just as we move forward, I want you to know I'm going to probably use these words, these English words of faith and trust and belief kind of interchangeably. But we're talking about the same basic uh, thing here. And so that's what we're talking about is belief and faith and trust. And so, you know, I don't have to tell this to you because you already know this, but in our world... And specifically in our country, we have a trust problem, right? That comes as a massive shock to you, I know. But we have a massive uh, trust problem. Uh, There is a Gallup poll that was done recently, and Gallup is a great organization that does a lot of statistical analysis in the world. But this one specifically was looking at belief from, or actually it was looking at trust, from the 70s, the decade in the 70s, to today. And so one of the things that it said was that 70% of people trusted the government in the 70s, while only 44% of people trust the government in 2021, which is wild. Oh my goodness. Also from that poll, 86% of people trusted other Americans. (laughs) Okay. I love this. Other Americans, which is basically like they're saying, hey, do you literally just trust the person next to you? The person that you see down the road, the person at your work, the person at the grocery store, the person at your gym, other human beings in our nation, do you trust them? And 86% of people were like, yeah, I trust just the other random Joe Schmo that I see every single day. That was back in the 70s. Now, in 2021, do you know what the percentage of people are that believe that they trust in other people, other human beings in our nation? It drops to 55%. Only 55% of people trust just other people, 
other humans living in our world, uh, in our nation. That's a pretty steep drop-off from the 70s to today. Okay, so there was another heartwarming statistic that um, I wanted to share with you, and that said that currently only 39% of people, 39% of people view clergy as trustworthy. Okay, clergy, of which I am one, sit just above nursing home operators, which I also find interesting, but we'll not kind of dive into why people are not trusting of nursing home operators. But only 39% of people view clergy as trustworthy, and that sits just below police officers and judges, which tells you the state of belief and trust in people of faith, uh, not, uh, leaders in faith, clergy in churches and things like that in our nation, how we're not even, we're, we're trusted less than police officers and judges in our nation. But the good news is that we're far above the bottom of the list, which is Congress people. <laughs> Congress people are the least trusted uh, demographic in our nation, which is also mildly disturbing. But generally, as people in our nation, we have become far less trustworthy of most things, but specifically less trustworthy of governments and religion and just generically one another. It's obvious that, uh, that we as people in our world today, just we really don't lend and, and give our trust to other people just kind of willy-nilly or just off the cuff, right? You've heard people say that trust is earned. But that begs the question, how is trust earned? How is it earned? I think trust is earned in a couple of very important ways. First, Trust is earned through relationship. The proximity of relationship helps to develop trust, I think. But second, trust is earned through action that is done on someone else, else's behalf. In other words, good that is done on another person's behalf. Think about this. The people at the top of the list of the most trustworthy people in our nation, for, according to this Gallup poll, are from the top down nurses, doctors, grade school teachers, pharmacists, then police officers, then judges, and then finally, clergy. Now, the people at the very bottom of the list are Congress people, and they're working our way up. The next lowest trusted occupation is car salesmen, or and then business executives, and then lawyers. And see, I think when you start to see the list for what it is, it's clear what and who people see as more trustworthy are people who, at least to the general public, are seen as people who earn trust through action on somebody else's behalf, on working for the good of somebody else. We see doctors and nurses and police officers and even lowly clergy like myself as people who are supposed to be working for the good of other people, not themselves. While generally we see Congress people and sales, car sales people, high and you know, business executives and lawyers as self-serving, only working on their own behalf. And whether or not that is actually true, this is the perception that we have as people in our nation currently. And I think one of the ways that we minimize that sense of distrust in our in our occupations is through forging a depth of relationship with people. 
you know, when we first moved to Seattle, I could tell right away that the people in our neighborhood were skeptical of us saying that we were here to start a church. You know, I don't know if you guys know this at all, but Seattle has had a pretty hard and challenging history regarding church and church leaders or clergy. And so people were skeptical of us. And so I don't necessarily do a ton of things super duper well, but one of the things that I feel like I'm decent at is forming community and forging relationships in our neighborhoods. And so we began to work hard to build a sense of community in our neighborhood. And even though we haven't lived in that neighborhood for almost five years now, which is wild to think that we've been here for almost seven years, we still have very good friendships with several of the families from that neighborhood. And and we also interact with many of those people who are deep friendships and relationships on, on a, a lot of occasions. I think about my friend who's a realtor. You know, realtor was not on that list of the Gallup poll, so I don't know how trustworthy people see the realtor occupation. But one of the things that my friend is really, really good at is that through his videos, people feel like they know him. And so he posts all of these videos on YouTube about the state of real estate in in Seattle. And he posts these videos of himself and his family. And what it does is it helps people who are watching, who are wanting to buy a home in Seattle. Uh, it helps them feel like they're developing a sense of trust and relationship with my friends so that then they go and they're like, they ask him questions about his family and how the projects are that he's doing at his home. And what it does is it helps form relationship, even though the relationship may be one-sided. He may not know them. They know him, or at least they feel like they do know him, and that forms trust. And so while I think this is a great list that Gallup put out, it doesn't, though, necessarily get to the heart of where people develop or find the most trusting people in their lives. Because I think we would all agree that the people that we trust the most tend to be the people with whom we have the deepest relationship and connection to. And so kids trust their parents and their family. Parents trust people who are closest to them relationally. Students, they may trust their teachers or people who are at different clubs with them. But typically, the depth of relationship helps establish a depth of trust. And see, this is to me what is one of the most compelling parts of faith and trust when it comes to Jesus. We so often talk about faith and belief and trust in churches, and we say that we should all have more faith in Jesus. Just develop. I'm sorry, I don't know why I became like weirdly sinister in that voice, but we should all have more faith in Jesus. Just have more trust in him. But it can be challenging to know where that faith actually comes or how we are supposed to develop more faith. And so oftentimes churches will say we should pray more to have more faith. We should allow our doubts to be released. Oh, so I'm sorry, there's that voice again. We should allow our voices to be released from our hearts, our, our doubts, our voices to be released. We should allow our doubts to be released from our hearts so that we can believe better. And what so often gets missed is that faith and belief and trust are often tied to the depth of relationship that we have with other people of faith and then also with Jesus himself. And so I want us to look at this idea of trust and faith from a spiritual perspective. But uh, before we dig into some, too much of that, I just want to ask a question to you for you to think about. 
when you think about forming relationships with someone, and it could be anyone, what are like the top three things that you would say, here's what you need to know in order to form meaningful relationships with them? And you can pause this and think about that for a few minutes and just think, what are the top three things I would say, these are the most important things in developing a relationship, a meaningful, deep, deep relationship with someone? You know, this idea of trust and faith was something that would have been very well known to Jesus. The ancient Jewish tradition was filled with teachings on trust. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. And see, this passage would have been well known to Jesus and others who grew up in the Jewish tradition. But within this teaching, there was this sense that trust requires a release of something very important. It required a release in self-reliance and self-sufficiency. You know, I've been in churches most of my life, and for most of my life in the church, I understood the opposite of faith and trust to be doubt and fear. I'm sure that you've probably heard this yourself, that the opposite of, of faith and trust is doubt and fear. But as I was talking with Laura this week, we were both kind of saying how it doesn't quite make sense. We know people who don't have faith in Jesus who are just, are not necessarily fearful people or people who doubt everything or everyone. And so to claim that the opposite of faith and trust is fear and doubt, it seems to minimize the journey of unbelief within a person, the things that actually cause them to question the need for faith and or trust in other people or in a higher being, right? And to me, this proverb helps peel back the true nature of what is the opposite of belief and trust, trust which is actually self-reliance or self-sufficiency. So self-sufficiency is the idea that I don't need any outside help in satisfying my basic needs. Self-reliance is the reliance on my own powers and resources rather than those of others. These both have the foundational posture that I am enough to do and to be whatever I need and want to be. And I think that one of the main goals that we have as people in America, people in our individualistic culture, is to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. I am good enough. I can pull myself up on my bootstraps. I am enough to fulfill my, all, my, all, all the needs that I have. And see, I think this rugged individualism is in part what has caused those levels of trust in our nation to drop so dramatically over the last 50 years. Because when, when the perception and the idea is that I don't need to trust in other people, that I am enough, what tends to happen then when we seek to trust only in ourselves is that we begin to develop a skepticism of other people. We see other people and we think, ah, they don't have my best interest in mind because honestly, they're just working for their own interests. So then I become skeptical of them. And yet when you practically take that posture into a relationship or in a neighborhood or in a business, then the relationships with other people can only go so far because there will always be this commitment to not needing the other person. 
that is constantly hanging over everything, that holds both of us back from exploring the depths of uncertainty for the purpose of potential. Because relationships are filled with uncertainty, aren't they? We don't know everything about where things are going in this relationship. We don't know how to communicate. We don't, how do we live in proximity to together? How do we care for and serve each other? Uncertainty is a part of relationships, but the uncertainty carries with it great potential for experiencing life and beauty in ways that we can't on our own. See, putting trust and faith in people is risky, Because there is a potential for disappointment and hurt. You know, Gallup just confirmed what we all know to be true. Over the past 50 years, we have fallen for the lie that we are better off being skeptical and generally distrustful of others so we don't have to risk the potential suffering or pain that comes from having faith in other people. Trust and faith, like say in your spouse, is the willingness to acknowledge that you are not the perfect version of yourself apart from that person that you just married. That you need them in order to become who you are supposed to be, which, just so that we can be clear, takes an incredible amount of trust in another person to say and believe that I am not my best self without you. That I need you to be a better Man, a better father, a better husband, pastor, whatever it is, because it takes the control out of your hands alone and places it in the hands of another person. And see, when you do that, when we begin to trust in other people, the thing that will inevitably surface is uncertainty and the staring into the unknown of trusting that someone else has your best interest in mind. You know, uncertainty and the unknown are places where faith and trust are really born. Have you ever wondered why it gets more difficult to trust or have faith when things are not going as planned or the way that they are supposed to go? Places of uncertainty and the unknown are where we are forced to lean on something more than ourselves Because those tend to be the places where we feel as if we have met the limits of our ability to carry ourselves through something. You know, there are challenges that we face that are marginally difficult that we can figure out on our own, right? Every single day we face these unknown challenges and we assess them and we begin to find answers the way through those uncertainties. But what happens when we face the darkness of the true unknowns? Where do we go in those moments or places of unrest when we know that we don't have the answers for, you know, what to do next? There's a story of Jesus that I just, I honestly love so much. It's from Mark chapter 9, and it's about a father and his demon-possessed son. And so this father is at the precipice of uncertainty with nowhere to go, and he meets Jesus who begins to peel back the layers of this man's heart to find places of faith and trust to step into on his behalf. So I want to read from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 24. And it says, When they came to the other, sorry, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. 
As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible, possible for him who believes. Immediately, the, boy, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this is the word of God from Mark chapter 9. And so Jesus actually does free this child from this demon possession. But there is this moment of chaos with these crowds arguing. And this father standing with his demon-possessed child. And this demon has caused his son to lose his ability to speak and keep seizing the boy, throwing him to the ground, causing him to seizure, to foam at the mouth, and throwing him into fires. Now, in this moment, I picture this father is at the end of his ropes. This demon is causing his son to suffer, and there's nothing that the father can do. There is a sense that the father is at a loss, wondering, what? What am I supposed to do next? And honestly, what would you guys do next in this, for this child in this situation? Almost anything, right? Have you guys ever watched the movie John Q? It's about a father whose son is diagnosed with a heart failure, and the father doesn't have the correct insurance to pay for a heart transplant. And so the father does the only thing that he knows to do. He takes over the hospital at gunpoint in order to get his son the heart that he needs to survive. See, there is a desperation that happens when we are faced with the burden of not knowing what to do next. And our self-reliant culture would have us believe it is up to ourselves to find a way. No one else is looking out for you or is going to help you. So you have to figure it out on your own. And so this man is at the end of his ropes and he sees Jesus and they begin to talk. And then the demon possessing the boy sees Jesus also. And Mark says that the spirit immediately threw the boy to the ground. And he was rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And so Jesus asks the father, how long has your son been like this? To which the father says, since childhood. Now we have to imagine, you know, the story doesn't say how old the boy was or how long he was this way. But even if it was for, say, I don't know, Two full years, a period of time which I think we can all connect with, seeing how it will be two years at the beginning of March that we have been in this season of COVID. But for two years, or maybe many more years than that, his father has tried and tried to understand his son's condition, probably doing any number of things to try and help, unable to do anything, watching as his son continues to suffer. And this father then is met with an inexpressible amount of uncertainty see there is a chasm that we face in moments of desperation and uncertainty where we gaze into the unknown darkness of what comes next and then we have three options for what to do we can turn and run away to the safety of certainty 
We can stand paralyzed and, sh- and sh- stuck by the fear of the unknown, or we can choose to, sh- to trust in something beyond ourselves and take a step forward. How many of you guys have seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? This is the exact image that takes place as Indy is faced with a massive chasm between where he currently stood and, and then seeing where he was supposed to go. And the point of that particular test was to force him to step into the unknown, trusting that something could catch him as he did. But see, stepping forward requires trust that something or someone other than ourselves will catch us and keep us moving through the unknown. And see, this man realizes that he has done everything he could to help his son. And the only thing to do is to step into the uncertainty of a man that he doesn't fully buy into yet. But still, there is a portion of his heart that wants to believe that Jesus can probably do more for his son than he was able to do. And so this man says, the spirit has often thrown my son in the fire of water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I think oftentimes we believe that for Jesus to help us in life, we have to have, we have to be people of great faith. That in order for Jesus to do anything on our behalf, we have to have this massive amount of incredible faith. And I love this moment with this man and Jesus, because Jesus sees that that moment of trust, that opening of this man's heart, and he responds, "If you can, everything is possible for one who believes." And see, I think it's easy for us to read this part of the interaction without the depth of love and care that Jesus has for this man and his son. See, if we miss Jesus' heart in this moment, it's easy to read what he says as almost an indictment of this man's faith, right? Like, if, are you stupid? If I can do anything, of course, I can do anything if just you would just only simply believe. And I think this is sometimes how we make people feel who are stepping into faith. Like, geez, if you would just have a little bit more faith, then you wouldn't be in this situation. I mean, have you heard stuff like this? But what's so important for you to hear is that Jesus stepping up to work for your good is not contingent on your level of faith in him. It's contingent on his level of love for you. And his love for you never wanes or wavers. Faith and trust are a journey just like everything else. You don't arrive at faith and trust. You develop it over your lifetime. And the more we allow Jesus into our stories, the more we will see this love for us, his love for us, and his desire for us to experience his goodness and a depth of relationship then can begin to form. And see, I believe Jesus sees the, the, the window of this man's heart opening to faith and Jesus stepping into it with the same, and Jesus steps into it with the same care and love that he knows that this man has for his suffering son. He says, if you can, everything, everything is possible if you believe. Healing and love, recapturing the moments with your son, running with him, laughing with him, those are all possible if you believe. And the way the father responds hits me like a ton of bricks every time that I read it because it's the most purest response that gives me a hope that I too, in my weakness, can say the same thing and Jesus will hear me. And so the father says, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. 
See, the father allowed a piece of his heart to be open to Jesus in that moment. And that piece, however big it was, was enough for Jesus to act. But the father then was insightful enough to admit to himself and Jesus that there were still other parts, maybe huge parts of his heart, that were hanging on to unbelief, that weren't ready. And yet the man invites Jesus to keep working on their, those areas within him, to keep pursuing him, to keep forming trust and faith in him. Jesus wasn't surprised to find out that this man still had unbelief in his heart. And he isn't surprised that there is unbelief in my heart or in your heart. Because to Jesus, it isn't about arriving at perfect faith. It's about walking with Jesus. You know, my wife, Laura, likes to make fun of me whenever we travel. I'm a kind of point A to point B guy when we're driving in a car. I don't like the stops to pee or to eat or to look at things. But to Laura, all of those things are a part of the joy of traveling. See, Laura, I think, is a lot more like Jesus than I am. You know, but in church, we so often make faith about getting to, from point A of unbelief to point B of full faith with no doubts. But walking with Jesus is about all the moments along the way that will and do come up. Moments of uncertainty about parenting and finances, jobs, pandemics, church, faith, politics, friends, so on and so forth. All of those things. Relationships are not straight lines. Relationships have roadblocks along the way, don't they? But remember, faith and trust are most often forged in moments of uncertainty and facing the unknowns with a person. And Jesus isn't asking you to have perfect faith. He's asking for a piece of your heart to be open to him so that then you and he can keep walking through life together, continuing to build and develop deeper faith and trust along the way. And see, faith and trust is not reserved only for the big moments of uncertainty. It's for the everyday mundane moments as well. The more we trust and have faith in Jesus in the small moments, then when we find ourselves facing the unprecedented uncertainties of life, it becomes easier to look back and see Jesus all along the way. To trust if Jesus was there in all of those moments back there, why would he leave me alone in this moment now? The way of Jesus is the way of faith and trust. And I know that there are moments where we have more faith and trust and moments where we struggle with it. And Jesus wants all those moments. He wants all of them. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll see you this Sunday at the Nexus Hotel for a time of worship. Bye everyone.